Hello, and welcome to Banking Transformed. I'm your host, Jim Roos, founder and CEO of the Digital Banking Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. On today's podcast, we'll be discussing the digital disruption happening in the banking industry, from the way financial services are delivered to the organizations delivering these services, change is happening faster than ever. For a perspective on how organizations of all sizes can create a digital bank, I'm joined today by a woman who helped spearhead one of the most successful digital-only banks in the world, as well as being the former head of technology transformation at J.P. Morgan Chase, my good friend, Sonia Wojciechowicz. Sonia is one of the few people in the world who has the inside knowledge of what it takes to be a digital bank, the challenge that can ensue, and the secrets to success. She is very active on LinkedIn, where she posts her insights on a regular basis and speaks globally on the opportunities available to banks in an era of digital disruption. Finally, she is known for being a black belt in kickboxing, using her training as a springboard for inspiration around her perspectives on strategy, leadership, and personal disruption. Sonia, Welcome. I guess today you're you're actually in uh, Moscow. Yes, it's actually quite interesting because uh, I always meet you in New York, and this time I'm in Moscow. But very happy to answer all the questions that you have. Well, great. First off, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Because um, it's an interesting background. It, obviously, a lot of it in the financial services, but you really have traveled the globe around transformation. I started um, in Citibank 25 years ago, where I spent 18 years as a very traditional banker. The first 12 years were all on the corporate side. So I was doing cash management, trade finance and custody. And then in the last six years of City, I moved into consumer bank. And that was the time when I first realized that consumer is all about feelings. It's all about giving solutions to individual people and affecting their lives. When I moved to Asia and I started in Standard Chartered Bank in Malaysia, I also realized how important it is to understand different cultures, different ways of thinking, perceiving things. For example, in Malaysia, I realized with my people that number four was a forbidden number and number eight was a lucky number. So a lot of what I learned about the customer behavior, the different things that people perceive differently all over the world has helped me in my digital bank um, tenure in uh, DBS Singapore, where I started in 2015 with a small team of people from traditional banking into digital and developing, designing and implementing a digital-only bank for India and Indonesia in less than seven months, taking into consideration the customer expectations and making the bank being the best digital bank in the world in a few months after we launched. So from a traditional banker in Poland, Europe, into Asia, into digital, and the next step was technology. I was uh, head of technology for the biggest market of DBS in Singapore. And the last thing that I have done, I traveled 20,000 kilometers to New York to join JP Morgan and do the people transformation. So it was, it was a very interesting journey which I never expected would happen. But I'm very happy that I was lucky to have all those different opportunities that are building on each other. Well, it's interesting, too. You mentioned that your background really has helped you in putting the human aspect into the digital world. What is 
the biggest human aspect that we miss as we're building digital solutions? I always say that digital is about people. And when I say that, I mean employees that are being engaged in transforming the bank into being digital and about the customers for whom we are designing all these solutions. Without understanding our customers, their needs, their expectations, and their big desire not to do banking, but have more life and have the banking being transparent, invisible, somewhere there in the background, it is very difficult to design good solutions. On the other hand, for many people being subject to transformation, being part of the transformation, the employees, it means a big change. So focus on people, changing the culture, looking at the mindset and trying to affect or inspire people, inspire their mindset, their behaviors to become more open to the customers and uh, try to design solutions which are really customer friendly and be open to new technologies enabling business is a big thing about digital transformation. That's why, once again, digital is about people. So, you know, your background has, while it has been about technology, your role has really been mostly around making the technology work and making it special. And and we talk about the fact that it's not about the technology, but you did mention about the importance of culture. What do you see as the importance of culture as relates to digital transformation? I believe that there is no success in any digital transformation without profoundly impacting and changing the culture of very traditional organizations. With digital transformation, you need to forget about command and control uh, type of structures where the senior management knows it all. People need to realize that with digital the employees become much closer to the customers, the analytics that describe the customer behavior. And that's why with the overwhelming amount of information and analytics that is available in today's world, it's no longer the old rule that the management knows it all. The role of the management and the, the upper management, the senior management is changing. They become the agent of the culture change and also the carriers of the vision, not only with their words, but with their behaviors. And those behaviors need to be cascaded down through genuine actions of the management that are repeated on a daily basis so that people believe and understand what the whole transformation is all about. That is a very important part of the culture change. People need to understand every day get communicated what the transformation means for them. The transformation needs to be done through them and with them rather than for them or to them. So that was a big learning that I had during my tenure with JP Morgan, where it was all about people transformation, where it was all about telling, telling people what's there for them and therefore impacting the behavior of the people, looking at the culture and making people comfortable with the change. So do you see it most organizations, because you worked at some really big ones, that while we may talk uh, the talk of culture change and, and change in the way we do business, how difficult is it to actually implement against that or actually do what we say we're going to do? It is very difficult. And Jim, it does not happen a lot that people realize that the culture change and the mindset change leading to change of behaviors and um, a different way of thinking about the business and the customers is lying at the core of the successful transformation. In many cases, the transformation is being linked with 
innovation labs, accelerators of fintech, looking at really scratching on the surface with brushing up or providing a new front-end solutions to the customers, rather than ro- looking at the profound change, what I, what I call usually transformation or digital transformation to the core, that is actually looking at the whole organization, the way we are organized, the way we work, applying agile ways of um, implementing new solutions, making it nimble, making it fast, and truly delivering value to the customers. A lot of those initiatives that are being pursued by the banks and um, other financial institutions Uh, for me, it looks like a digital lipstick, which means it looks nicely from outside. A lot of people copy each other because they believe that without having a lab or a fintech accelerator, it's very difficult to survive in today's world. While in reality, very few of those initiatives actually ending with a success. And in many cases, I've seen that after initial couple of months, sometimes Several months, they are being closed down because people understand that the core of successful transformation does not lie in that lipstick type of initiatives. Well, it's interesting because your experience at DBS Bank and in the the introduction of DigiBank is interesting because you mentioned agility and you mentioned speed to market. Most organizations can't get a simple update on a mobile app out in six months, 10 months, 12 months, and they have the old mindset of implementation and conversion. How quickly, because I know it was quick, how quickly did the introduction of DigiBank happen, which is a totally digital bank? How long did that take? It took seven months. From the idea into going live with the pilot group of customers, we were entering market by market. So we started in one city and then we're going to the following cities. But we were ready with the solution which was offered to the customers in exactly seven months. From the first idea into putting the bank from the scratch on a mobile application, plugging in the ecosystem partners, including the clearing houses, the payment gateways, everybody that was necessary for us to to, um, to conduct the payments like MasterCard, Visa and other agents. But not only that, we also implemented during that time three fintech startup companies that have completed the value proposition. There was the chatbot that was a soft token that reimagined the way the customers were authorizing the transactions and a personal financial management company that was all done in those seven months. And in addition to that, we have also set up a lot of cooperation agreements with our ecosystem partners that were helping us to reach out to the customers in the digital space. When you introduced DigiBank, you also had to promote it. And I believe you said that, you know, it's the most successful introduction of a digital bank ever. How many customers did you generate? And and you were in a brand new market. How did you market the service so it actually had a take-up rate? So the marketing was only done using digital channels. The big belief that we had was that we are the digital bank and we are not going to go into shopping malls or into the streets in order to get the customers. We were waiting for our customers where they were, i.e. in the digital space. So the whole acquisition, which brought us around 2 million customers in 18 months, around 18 months, was done through digital marketing, social media, and a very successful program of member get member. So those customers who already were our customers were promoting the service to the others. And therefore, you know, they were actually attracting new customers to open an account with us. So I would think that one of the advantages of DigiBank was that you were not in a marketplace that was going to compete with DBS. So you didn't have to compete against what I'll call the mothership. 
Is that an advantage if an organization is trying to build a digital bank to make it where you're maybe not overlapping your traditional markets? Jim, this is a very, very interesting question. And, you know, there's not a direct answer to that because on one hand, it might be an advantage because from the internal point of view, you do not have any restrictions and anybody that is holding you back because you might become an internal competitor to the embedded bank in the country. On the other hand, a very big problem or difficulty or challenge that we had by entering the market with the Digibank name and not having a real presence in India and Indonesia was that our brand name was completely, completely unknown. One of the big decisions that we have taken is we have employed a very well-known figure that every Indian knew, and it was true. When I was talking to my friends in India, the five-year-old knew that person and the 85-year-old knew the person, a former cricketer, a very famous person, Sachin Tendulkar, who became our face in the country and was promoting our brand. And that actually was a big result, a big reason why we achieved such a, a tremendous result with the acquisition. So while you don't have the brand recognition, you also don't have the internal fighting over whether or not this digital bank may upset jobs, change transformation, all that. So that works to your advantage. How many employees did you actually use for the creation of Digibank? So the initial team was uh, very small. We had about 10 business people that were focused on creating and designing the solution. We had about 10 and then 15 designers that were designing the mobile application with the wireframes and, and everything related to that. And we had about 120 technology people, majority of whom were sitting with us on the same floor. So the team was very coherent and working together every day. What was also very surprising that after a few almost days, not even weeks of working together as a team, we really started forgetting who was who. Like there was no more boundaries and there were no more labels between the business designers and the technology people. We're just working as one team. So I believe that was one of the big success factors that suddenly we have broken this, you know, a couple of hundred of years types of thinking about the bank that it needs to be divided between operations, technology, compliance, business, and so on and so forth. Because the big thing about us was we had one goal and we're working towards that as, as a true one team. When you're looking at your implementation of the digital bank, I think one thing that you would say is that the smallness, the agile nature of everything. Now, did you build this on a traditional legacy platform or did you build it from the ground up? What we have realized uh, was that changing a lot of things and going into a completely different core banking system would be costly and time-consuming. So what we have done, we have created a middle layer between the existing legacy core banking system and the application that we have created. The middle layer was all about APIs and services that were very flexibly used in order to connecting the front end with the back end. That flexible API layer has also allowed us to very efficiently plug in our ecosystem partners, including the payment gateways, the clearing houses, the, the visas and mastercards of that world, as well as the new fintech companies that we made part of our solution, as well as the ecosystem partners where we have exposed our APIs at their applications and at their internet sites as they became the selling platforms for our and promoting platforms for our application. 
You know, a lot of people on the on the line today listening to the podcast may say, yeah, that may work in Poland, but it won't work in the United States. You, you have the ability to have seen a lot of different marketplaces, a lot of different cultures. Is what you did in India for DBS Bank something that you believe could be developed in a marketplace like the U.S.? Absolutely. The thing that we have done was was quite classical and standard um, type of an approach. Remember, it was done five years ago, four years ago, almost five years ago today. And at that time, the banks that were actually offering the core banking systems as a service did not exist. or They were at a very fledgling uh, stage. So today, it is even less difficult to launch a digital bank with all those different solutions available as a service these days, available on cloud, and cloud being perceived in a very different way than it was a few years back. Yes, everybody was afraid of cloud. It's not the case anymore. I believe it's doable. And the the people who are more, I would say, conservative would probably do it in the way that we did because we're constrained by the time that we're doing it at uh, using the, the backend system, providing the middle layer of APIs, connecting it with the front end. The more innovative people who are not afraid of the of the new solutions, they will probably go into those new entrants to the markets that are offering the core banking system as a service. It's funny because we're talking about digital years and digital months here. So the world as it existed with uh, DBS Bank or Digibank and DBS is far different than it is today. Would you would you say it's better for an organization to build or to buy or to partner going forward? And when you're asking this question, you, you believe you're asking me about the, the fintech solutions or any solutions or a digital bank as such? It could either be a, a build from a digital bank or even the solutions for making your traditional bank more digital. Do you, do you see a build versus buy versus partner solution? What What is your perspective on what you might think is best? I would think that there is not a one answer to that question because it all depends on the market that you are entering and also the capabilities that you have uh, inside your organization. I thought that the way we've done it, which was we built the core application ourselves with our own people who are insourced 100% inside the bank while partnering with the fintech companies in order to provide value-added services where we either didn't have any expertise inside the bank or it would take us too long time to do it on our own. And also investing, i.e. buying in some of them, in some of those solutions or taking an investment stake in some of them was a very interesting and flexible model that actually brought us a lot of success. But I'm not saying that this is the only solution. It actually worked for us because it gave us the speed, the flexibility, and also the possibility to invest in the promising startups that we believe that they are not only good for us, but they'll be good for others. And that's why the market value will grow. There will be certain situations that it's actually much better to buy an existing solution, which is already very successful and not necessarily very big and expensive so that you can enter with that solution very fast into a given market. So you don't even probably need to spend seven months like we did, but do it in just two, three months. And if you want to enter into a a new market very fast and that challenger bank is there and it's successful, but it's not too successful yet. So it's the right time to buy. That might be another solution that you might consider. One thing that I would probably opt against is building the whole thing on your own because it will always fight back. It is not possible to be the most innovative when you want to do everything by yourself. 
You know, it's interesting. Um, a lot of people that I have on um, Banking Transformed are, are consultants or people that are, you know, a, a solution provider or somebody who who hasn't really gotten in the trenches. You have gotten in the trenches. You have done it yourself. When you're talking to other organizations or even with your own organization, what suggestion would you give as to the key to success? Well, if we talk a little bit about that, but I want to repeat once again, transformation, digital transformation is not about technology. It's not about innovation labs and fintech accelerators. It's all about changing the culture of the organization, making people starting focusing on the customers and the best products and solutions that they offer to the customers, depart from all the boundaries that they had in the past, worrying about small little things and live and breathe the customer obsession. You cannot be wrong while providing the right solutions to the customers. You cannot be wrong by putting into them into small pieces, experimenting, testing. And every time you see that it's not working, uh, trying to learn from your mistakes and then provide a new solution, a better solution to the customers all the time. I think that one of the big things that is holding the traditional banks back and it's not allowing them to compete successfully against the new entrants to the markets, like those agile, uh, big tech or even the fintech companies, is that still... I think we are sometimes overdoing, overanalyzing things, and then leads to some paralysis that is not allowing the banks to deliver the solutions quickly. The customers do not want to wait. They want to have it now. And I think this is one of the big advice that I would say, and I would, uh, and I would like to tell people at the, um, at the end of that uh, uh, answer of my question. In digital world, the Einstein law is more relevant than any time in the past. I'm talking about the relativity of time. In digital world, the time flows faster. You couldn't say any better. You know, it's interesting because you talk about culture, but if at the top of that culture change becomes leadership. And one thing that impressed me from the very moment I met you is it is very clear based on the way you present, the way you talk to audiences about what has happened, that you're a clear leader. And one thing that I was surprised by, because you're you're not of the, the biggest stature, you're relatively small, is that you're actually a black belt in kickboxing. And, you know, I know that's something you're very passionate about as well as exercising and everything else, but the kickboxing experience, you've you've written about it in uh, the past, and, and anybody who doesn't do it already should definitely follow Sonia on LinkedIn. She, uh, per, she posts it a couple times each week. She has a huge following. But one of the greatest articles that I ever read by you was on the leadership lessons of a black belt kickboxer. Could you share some of those leadership lessons that you've had from your kickboxing experience? You know, Jim, when I got my black belt back in December 2017, it was a true dream coming true for me. And I have made sure that that achievement will make it to my CV. And I truly believe that this is one of my biggest achievements when I look at what I've achieved in life. And the reason for that is very simple. With Black Belt, it's not about being lucky, being at the right place at the right time. It's not having supportive bosses. It's all about hard work, trying to be better every time, be ready to get punched on the face, fall down, and then again stand up and move on. And every time 
when you fall down and you do the movement, which is not correct, you have the resilience and tenacity to try again to improve and be better every time when you make the next move. That was the big leadership lesson that I have implemented when I was doing all my digital projects. Because with digital, it's a completely new world. We are talking about new technologies, new processes, new way of doing things. It's impossible to be right the first time. But it does not matter that when we make a mistake, we are actually making the mistake forever. Because we can do it on smaller number of customers, we can experiment, we can always correct the mistakes. Like in kickboxing, I would never get the black belt if I've not fallen and been punched on the face many, many times. And then if I did not stand up and try again, that would never lead me to the success that I achieved in kickboxing. And it was exactly the same with uh, my digital transformation. I'll tell you, Sonia, you know, I've said it many times that uh, you're the epitome of my uh, my statement around embracing change, taking risks and disrupting yourself. You've done all of them in spades. And, I, I, and I'll say that the accomplishment of, of getting a black belt in kickboxing was not what made you a great leader. What makes you a great leader is what got you the black belt. And I, I think you and I have talked about it many times, your ability to continually embrace the next thing out there to continually reinvent yourself and to really try new things without fear. It certainly goes without saying that, you know, I have a, a large amount of admiration for you and what you've accomplished. But more importantly, it, it's really looking at who Sonia's going to be in the future. And, and I will say that, uh, you know, our partnership's going to continue. There's a lot of great things on the horizon. And um, I think what's exciting is that you are one of the female leaders and a leader overall, but a female leader in banking that we need more of. And people should reach out to you because what you've accomplished is, is amazing and what you're going to accomplish in the future is as well. So I can't thank you enough for being on the show today and bringing a perspective that is different than we always hear. And it hopefully will tell financial institutions globally of all sizes that they can accomplish more. Thank you very much, Sonia. Thank you, Jim. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Banking Transformed. If you enjoyed today's interview, please be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Also, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and check out our amazing research at the Digital Banking Report where we look into digital transformation, retail banking innovation, the digital customer experience, and financial marketing. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our producer, Bridget Coyne, and audio engineer, Eric Coltnow. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Until next time, have a great week. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. 
Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.